0: Yes, it's been good to be here with you. We greet you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think it would just be appropriate to take a, a minute or two just to uh, thank you as a congregation, as a community, for your warm hospitality to Gladden Eye. And, I. and uh, we've really enjoyed this, uh, this weekend. Um, <clears throat> when uh, Dave contacted me, I sensed uh, right away that it's something that, uh, that God wanted us to do. And uh, it's been a delight. Uh, it was Dave and Bonnie have been great hosts. They've uh, just allowed us to sort of be at home and, and uh, snoop the cabinets if we need to, to get a cup of coffee, thanks to the UL duranians that supply us with that good juice. Um, so, yes, and then we, we were able to uh, spend uh, some time with the, with the leadership team yesterday morning and then again last night for, uh, for a, uh, a meal, and that was really good. Uh, Simon and Polly, we were able to have lunch with them yesterday. We really struck out on the good end of the deal. Soon after he sat down, he leaned over to me and said, I'll make you a deal. He said, you pray, I'll pay. So I don't know, if you take him out to eat, I don't know if he'll do the same thing to you or not, but maybe better would be as if you'd re- reverse the roles there. And then, of course, we were all ab- also able to spend uh, Friday lunch in the afternoon with Wayne and Edna. And uh, that friendship goes back quite a ways and uh, maybe becomes a little bit more special even with the loss of my father. So uh, thank you for that. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to John chapter 10, entitled The Message This Morning, Serving as Shepherds, Serving as Shepherds. And and perhaps it's a little bit uh, more of a general uh, message uh, toward leadership But I don't want to limit it to leadership. Uh, Every parent that is here this morning, both male and female, in some sense you are a shepherd if God has entrusted to you children. And even if you don't have children, uh, you, I'm sure, interact with other people and in some sense are shepherds. And I would say the same to unmarried people that are here this morning. God allows people into your lives that, will, that you can shepherd, that you can interact with, that you can relate to. And, uh, and I think the great shepherd, the good shepherd in John chapter 10 gives us so much that we can learn from him. And I'd like to take some of the principles, three principles, in fact, that we see in this passage of Scripture that we can apply to our lives. Starting to read in verse 7, for the sake of time, we'll jump into verse 7, John chapter 10. And it reads like this And Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling, that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down, and I have the power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. Let's just pause again. Father, as we look at this word, I pray that you would rightly divide this scripture to our hearts and help us to receive it as from you. In your name we pray amen. It was Friday, the uh, July the 8th in the year 1099, when a ragtag uh, procession of robed clergy carrying large crosses on their shoulders marched under the hot desert sun. Right behind these church leaders were uh, 1,200 uh, initiated, barefoot knights, and these knights were uh, highly trained religious leaders. Uh, and, and behind them was another 1,100 uh, thirsty, near-starved soldiers, sailors, and workmen, all together totaling somewhere between uh, 12 to 13,000 in number. And thus quotes the Church of Jesus Christ. All uh, uh, marched from the city of Rome all the way over to the city of Jerusalem, some 1,450 miles away. And their final destiny was the Mount of Olives. And once they reached that point of the journey, one of the bishops in the group uh, exhorted this motley group of soldiers and said this, Now we are on the very spot from which the Lord has made his ascension, and we can do nothing more to purify ourselves, so let each one of us forgive his brother whom he has injured, that the Lord may forgive us. And then he continued to tell these soldiers and remind them of his prophecy that Jerusalem would be, would be delivered to them that following Friday if they continued to humble themselves and purify themselves. Well, meanwhile, the Muslims, defender on the inside of the wall laughed scornfully at this pathetic sight of half-dead Christians who, who mocked the little band of half-crazed soldiers of Christ and, and they planned well ahead of time to fortify the city by stocking it up with ample food and, and sustaining the wall and, and, ample, uh, and, and uh, fortifying the, the wall uh, for, for a long period of time. Time. And to add insult to injury, uh, those behind the wall had 60,000 uh, men, armed men, who were able to defend the, the, the women and the children that were behind the wall. And then another allied force was making their way up from Egypt to give them uh, relief from the siege. And so all the odds were stacked against those who were out on the outside of the, of the wall who, who numbered less than 13,000 Against those inside, who numbered more than sixty thousand, who were willing to uh, to who were willing warriors. Well, the laughter stopped five days later, when, to the surprise of the Muslims inside the wall, several huge wooden siege towers were wheeled up to the city wall. The army of God, led by her shepherds, uh, had secretly been constructing everything that a medieval army would need in order to penetrate these thick walls. There were battering rams, there was a catapult, there was a drawbridge, there were lofty lofty turrets from which they could rain down arrows inside the wall, and the army was ready to attack the city the next day. And the Muslims were stunned and quickly went to work to again fortify that part of their own defense, But unfortunately, they were one step behind the men who were on a crusade for Christ. That night, that very night before the attack, the motley group of Christians outside silently dismantled a few of the towers and moved them a mile down the wall uh, that was less fortified. It would have been an unbelievable feat, undertaking in almost any condition, but considering the the fact that these men uh, had worked tirelessly the night before to set up these these uh, towers and were near the point of exhaustion, also giving the fact that they had traveled, had just traveled 1,450 miles in uh, the weeks before that. Uh, it, 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 it became a, 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 a feat that was almost unbelievable, almost a superhuman accomplishment. Yet in the early morning light, these uh, People prayed, they offered a prayer to God, entrusting that they would give their weary bodies the needed strength that, uh, that uh, they had uh, asked for. With a shout to the Lord their God, they began the attack on the city of Jerusalem. The, lo- the, 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 the ones inside the wall could not have been stunned any, anymore. They were unprepared for the turn of events that happened during the night, And before they knew it, the battering rams, a mile down the wall, began pounding the wall, and huge bolters were catapulted across and onto the wooden houses. And from the top of the turret uh, towers, these men of God began to hurl flaming wooden missiles that had been dipped in wax and in tar and in sulfur, uh, which was sure to ignite uh, any wooden fortification behind the wall. It was a bloody war, and each party hurled their weapons back and forth. Both groups fought valiantly for the cause that they felt was theirs to give. But as night fell, neither group had gained a foothold. The men on the outside, they were exhausted. They had been fighting all day. They had traveled. They had a lack of sleep. Uh, and and, 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 and uh, yet the next morning, this would be Friday, uh, July 15th. It was the day that the bishop had prophesied that they would overrun the city. They got up early in the morning and went to work again to renew their attack. By noon, no progress had been made. But now they were especially weary, hungry, thirsty, and they were hopelessly outnumbered. Furthermore, the wall seemed impregnable. And finally, they halted their operation and they held counsel. About half the men on the outside uh, were ready to call off the siege and ready to hang the bishop who had made the false false prophet or the false uh, prophecy. But as they talked, there was a knight across the hill on the Mount of Olives and he began to wave his shield and, and, and rally the men back to work and to signal their advance. And so once again, the men took heart, and they, they renewed their attack in earnest. At that time, a group of t- archers, under the, commandment, or under the command of Godfrey of bull, uh, bullion, succeeded to set on fire some bales of hay and cotton on the inside of the wall. And at that moment, the wind changed. The wind shifted and a huge cloud of smoke uh, began to blind and choke the Muslims inside the, the, who were def, uh, defending that portion. And they were forced to retreat. And seizing that moment, Godfrey dropped the drawbridge, and the, and, 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 the, and the men fearlessly ran across the wall, streamed across the wall, and within minutes, the Crusaders secured that section of the wall thus allowing other soldiers to set up uh, ladders and to scale the wall. And very quickly, these Christian warriors had broken through the wall. Several of the invaders quickly went to the first city gate, opened the gate, and waves of crusaders swept inside the city. Suddenly, the whole city was in a panic. Women screamed, children cried, and the Church of God, led by her leaders, butchered and slaughtered. Every person in their wake. They now saw themselves as the medieval equivalent of Jehu and his army who decimated Baal worship of of his day. It's hard to imagine the extent of the war. One might think that there would have been regret and remorse for the massacring of nearly 100,000 people including many, many women and children. But in fact, the opposite is true. Listen to the response of one eyewitness who wrote about the horrible carnage, and I quote, "'Piles of heads, hands, and feet "'were to be seen in the streets of the city. "'It was necessary to pick one's way "'over the bodies of men and horses, "'but these were small matters ...compared to what happened at the temple of Solomon. What happened there? If I tell you the truth, it will exceed the powers of belief. In the temple and the porch of Solomon, men rode in blood up to their knees in bridle reins. Indeed, it was a just and splendid judgment of God. The city was filled with corpse and blood. How they rejoiced, exulting in a new song, the new song of the Lord... For their hearts were offered prayers to God, victorious in triumph, which cannot be told in words. Today, I say, will be famous in all future days, uh, ages, for it turned our labors and sorrows into joy and exultation. This day, I say, marks the justification of all Christianity, the humiliation of paganism, and the renewal of our faith. This day is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. End of quote. I don't know what goes through your mind. But my heart weeps. So records a very dark travesty in the archives of church history. Little wonder that we refer to that as the dark ages, isn't it? We wag our heads, we pluck our tongues, and we re- reflect disdainfully, and I think rightly so. I'm appalled to think that it was her shepherds that day that waged this war. Can you imagine? How did they reconcile John chapter 10? (laughs) But before we look down our noses too far, (laughs) I'd like to ask a simple question, and that's just simply, what about today? How's the Church of God doing today? I'm talking about 21 century Christianity, and perhaps even more pointed, how is the conservative Anabaptist Church of 2022 doing today? How are her leaders doing? How many souls lay in the wake of shepherds and deacons who are waging their own crusade In the name of Christ. How many churches have split and splintered. All in the name of defending truth. While looking, overlooking perhaps the greater law of love. And yes, I'm talking about Anabaptist churches. I'm sure every one of us are aware that we don't have a very good track record You know, here's the deal: in God's economy, truth nor justice can be separated from the law of love. <laughs> Repeatedly in Scripture, we find mercy and truth writing side by side, and in the Gospel of John, it is scripted that Jesus, that grace and truth came through Jesus. <laughs> His ministry was one uh, in which these two traits were balanced well. He did not skirt truth, never skirted truth. Yet every time that he exposed sin, it was laced with love. And I think we need to keep this balance in mind. For the remainder of this time, I'd like to look at three qualities that I see in this passage. John chapter 10... But I'd like to suggest that we as shepherds, we as deacons, you as fathers and mothers, as you shepherd your family, other people who are here that are not married, as you shepherd people in your lives, to apply these qualities as you relate to other people. And by the way, Nate and Ann, I would just say this, that some of the lessons may be directly specified to the shepherds or the pastors here in this fellowship, but as your new role as deacon uh, uh, that it will be equally important as, as you assist in lightening the load of your pastors and shepherds as well. In other words, what I'd like to say is that, is that uh, you as, uh, are a part of the shepherding process here as well and, uh, and as you carry out your duties, and I trust you will be able to make the application as we go through this. The first principle that I would like to look at is found in verse eleven, where it says, "I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep." The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's the first principle. I have a friend has been a friend for many years. who is was a modern day shepherd about twenty years ago. I stopped by his farm one day. I stopped by. By the way, I just think of it now. It's Farmer Bill. And Farmer Bill is Anita's uncle by marriage. I didn't think about that until I saw you back there. I was strolling around uh, uh, Farmer Bill's farm one day, and we eventually ended up at uh, his sheep pasture. And and, and Bill shared with me a, a, a life principle that still resonates with me to this day, some 20 years later. And here's what he said, in essence. He said, James... I don't have time to sit with my sheep. (laughs) Uh, I'm too busy tending to the other needs on the farm. And uh, I I do it just along with all of my other chores. And so it limits how much time I can spend with these sheep. And so he said, "I, I resort to fence building to keep the sheep within the fold. Fence shepherding, he told me, is actually easier. It takes far less time than sitting in here, out here day after day and uh, it, it doesn't require near as much time for me. But he said, but sheep have a very annoying habit. And he said, they think that the grass on the other side of the fence is always taller, always greener, and, and richer on that side of the fence than on this side of the fence. And so he said, they have a, they have a very annoying habit. They're always looking for a way to get out. And uh, when they find a loophole, they do, he said, and he said, they always do. He said, I, I just corral them back inside, and then I patch the fence. He said, if, if one of them jumps over the fence, I just take a strand of wire, and I just build a fence a little bit higher. He said, if one of them slips beneath the fence, he said, I just, I just take a strand of wire, and I, I put one a little bit lower. And then he said something, <clears throat> that really impacted me. He said, if I make the boundaries strong enough, I'm able to enjoy the comforts of my home, which is far easier than sitting out here with them all the time, uh, particularly when the weather is bad. But then he said one more thing, and he said it with a bit of a lament. And he said, because I fence shepherd, they also don't know my voice and they don't come at my call. He said, there's very little at stake in our relationship. And to this day, I have never forgotten Farmer Bill's analogy. What I learned that day is the easy way to shepherd sheep is to keep them corralled and controlled. Yet, what would happen if we as leaders would spend the, expend the, the, the same amount of energy uh, uh, in building relationships as we do in repairing the fence? Many fathers choose the easy path with their families, and they choose the, the path of fences with a list of do's and don'ts, rather than taking the time to pursue the hearts of those in their care but it's also these children that often end up resenting the values that is being promoted by the parent. And why? And listen very carefully because the principle becomes more important than the person. The principle becomes more imper- important than the person. I believe it was Dr. Henrik, uh, Howard Hendricks who made this wise observation. He said The more intimate the relationship, the fewer rules are necessary to regulate the relationship. And I wonder whether this principle can apply in a church as well. And and please hear me, I'm not not, uh, in any way uh, negating fences. But what I am calling us to do is is to align our uh, vision and our values appropriately in this work, The work of a deacon is is heavy lifting. It's it's what I call a lot of grunt work. Uh, Frequently it requires giving up personal time and space. Serving tables is not an easy task. Regardless of who you are, and in any way you serve anybody else, it's hard work. You parents, (laughs) Glad and I, we, uh, yeah, our youngest one's 20, almost 22, and and we, we we watch, we observe our 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 children uh parenting their children and and we sort of sigh with relief that uh yeah we just don't have the energy that, that we used to do. You know, when we had six children, well it was just that's just the way it was. You know, we just did what it would did what it but you know we take care of three children for a day and we're like, Whew. All right. <laughs> What a beautiful opportunity you as parents have to shepherd these young children. They trust you naturally. They trust you naturally. It is you who will cause them to distrust depending on your responses to them. But I also call it back to serving tables in the church or to pastoring in a church. Nate and it's going to require, it's, going, it's not going to require any less work than what it was for you to do pastoral ministry that you've engaged in these past 10 years. The responsibilities may shift, but I'm going to suggest that the ministry will be equally waiting. And why do I say this, simply this, that any person in leadership will at some point need to die to self? The sheep and their care uh, will, will be their primary focus. Like the ancient shepherd, whose, whose primary focus was the sheep in his flock, so those who are in servant leadership will lay down their sheep, or their lives for the sake of soul care. But I would just also suggest that for the deacon or for the pastor who loves his sheep. This is not a hardship. Now, right after Jesus gave this first principle, that he gives his life for the sheep, he he launches in, he projects this thought uh, of of the warning about the wolf. It, It reads like this, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep, And scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Part of what's involved in giving himself for the sheep is staying off the wolf. Because the wolf will come. It's not a question of whether he will come or not, it's a question of when he will come, or it's a matter of when he will come. The wolf. The wolf will come. The wolf has been wrecking havoc among families since the beginning of time, including Grandpa Adam and Grandpa Eve, and ever since then, subsequent families since then. Consequently, he's doing the same thing with the flock of of Jesus Christ since the day of its inception. But here's the deal. An attack from the wolf tells a whole lot more about the shepherd than it does about the sheep. There are some fathers and some servant leaders who who truly take care of the sheep and are willing to lay their life down as it were to protect those under their care. There are other fathers and church leaders, whether deacon or pastor, who may be given the title of a deacon or a shepherd, perhaps even do the work of a shepherd, as long as things are going well. By all indications, they are shepherds. And yet at a heart level are actually only hirelings. And a hireling has two distinct traits that exposes the true character of the person and it surfaces typically when the wolf attacks. The two two characteristics is that they leave and that they flee. But a hireling, he was not a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf come and he leaves, and he flees. And for all practical purposes, allow me to ask this this personal question. And I'm going to relate it first of all to fathers here this morning. I see you as maybe the primary shepherd of your families. How many of you check out when family pressures mount? How many of you of, of us, give our wives the silent treatment when unresolved differences rise up between us and hang between us brothers these are these are the tendencies of a hireling equally, I would say, ask the question: how many church leaders have left and fled when church when church pressures have mounted and, and And let me just remind you that leaving and fleeing, uh, you can do those two things without relocating geographically or moving to another congregation. Checking out mentally or emotionally will cause you to disconnect from the flock, making the sheep vulnerable to the wolf. And and, And here's the fact is that the greater travesty when servants leave or flee is what happens to the sheep. And he's very explicit with what, is, what happens. It says that the wolf catches them and the sheep scatter. The sheep scatter. I'm sure every one of us have witnessed some form of this process at one time or another. And to the congregation here, I would just invite you, I would just uh, exhort you to pray, to pray for your leaders that they would truly have a shepherd heart and not one of a hireling. Church work is not easy work. I, I, I just, uh, it, it's, it's hard work. <laughs> and sometimes, you know, we're human. <laughs> and sometimes we just get tired. We get, we get weary. And it's easy. It's easy for us to sort of just check out emotionally, spiritually, uh, mentally. Uh, but pray for your shepherds and your deacon that, uh, that they would stay engaged. The second principle that I see is found in verse, verse 14 that says, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. Now, compare, compare bivocational uh, uh, Sh- shepherd Bill, uh, to, uh, who used uh, fences to keep his flock in control, to my then future brother-in-law, uh, shepherd Merle. One day, when I was dating his older uh, sister, Dad bought Merle six sheep, and uh, Merle loved his sheep. In fact, he spent hours and hours with them out in the barn, lots of time. Uh, In fact, it was not unusual for for Shepherd Merle to, to spend hours with Molly and Polly and Sally and Missy and Connie and Jackie. Yeah, they all had endearing names. And we could be sitting inside eating a meal. And one of the sheep would bleed, and he'd say, Oh, I wonder what Molly wants. Now, of course, we never knew whether he was true, you know, whether it was true or not. All sheep sound the same, right? No, not to a shepherd. He said it in such conviction that I'm sure he knew which one it was that was bleeding. When Peter gives the instruction in 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says, Shepherd the flock of God. We know, first of all, that this was an action verb rather than a noun. Shepherding is something that we do uh, more than something that we are. And it's been about 37 years ago, but I can still hear Shepherd Merle walking out toward the barn. And he began to call each of his sheep by name. And regardless of where they were in the pasture, they would come running as hard as they could their shepherd. Why? Because they knew him and he knew them. Why is the servant. Why is the servant who is able to separate his worth and his value from his calling. Servants who, 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 who uh, wrap their sense of value into their calling typically shepherd a uh, misbehaving sheep differently from those who are simply there to serve. I was told years ago that the difference between a butcher and a shepherd is that one leads from the front and another one drives from behind. Another good piece of advice that I was given years ago from a very wise brother, he said this to me, he said, James, observe the direction your members are traveling and respond to them accordingly. And that brother was Wayne. I don't know if you remember telling me that or not, but I've used that. I've used that principle. In fact, we have a situation right now in our congregation where one member is going this way and another member is coming into the fold. And if by all appearances, they would look quite similar, and yet we're addressing this person differently than this person. Why? Because of the direction they're traveling. The third and final principle that I'd like to give is found in verse 15. And it says, he lays down his life for the sheep. Not only does he give his life, not only does he he, uh, know the sheep, he lays down his life for the sheep. Greek philosopher Aristotle once wisely noted that criticism is something you can easily avoid by saying nothing, doing nothing, and being nothing. But a shepherd that loves his sheep will not avoid pain nor seek ease. No, in fact, they will do all within their power to create a safe environment for those who are inside the fold but also for those that have to, or that still need to come inside the fold. They will spend lots of energy for that. And One of the best ways to do this is to exemplify what vulnerability looks like. No church leader should ever give the persona that they have their life together, mainly because you don't. <laughs> yeah. And even if we think that we do sometimes, somehow God has the, God has the ability to raise up a brother or a sister under your, under your care who's been specifically commissioned by God to push just the right button in your life to bring out the worst in us. I have a brother like that. And uh, uh, when I was younger, uh, I used to preach a lot faster than I do today. And sometimes my words just couldn't come out fast enough. And hence, I would mispronounce words. I probably still do that today, but probably not quite as often. And this brother had an irritating habit that whenever he would hear a mispronounced word, he'd he'd write it down on a piece of paper, how I said it wrong, and then what the correct way was to to, to pronounce it. He'd fold it really nicely, neatly, and just walk past me and slip it in my pocket and just keep walking. (laughs) And it used to irritate me. And I said myself, did you hear the rest of the message? But then God spoke to me. He said, this brother loves you. He's wanting to help you. And I began to look at that as a gift from God to help me be a better orator and to be able to communicate better. And I I began to thank God for it. And guess what? The irritation went away. Yeah. God brings the right people in our lives to keep us humble and to just make us realize our own needs. It will either drive you to your knees or it will cause the sheep to be driven away. Perhaps the greatest servant leader in all of history outside of Christ himself demonstrated best what it means to lay down our life for the sheep. And this is what Paul had to say in Romans chapter 9, verse 3, for I wish that I myself were a curse for Christ, for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh. May God bless you as a congregation as you continue forward in the work of the Lord. And to Nate and Ann, I just want to say, I pray God's blessing upon you. So I want to give you a personal word this morning that as you take up this new mantle, as you take up this new role, I just encourage you to focus on the strengths and the gifts that God has given to you rather than on your inadequacies. Obviously, God thought, and it was confirmed by the congregation, that uh, he saw qualities in you that faith, Christian, needed to have at this time. And I just believe God will use you as you stay usable for him. Let's pray, and then I'll turn the time back to um, Brother Ivan. Father, we are so grateful for you, the Great Shepherd, who so beautifully demonstrated what it means to uh, care for souls. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've failed in this. I just personally confess the times that that I have pushed people away by my own selfish and prideful responses. Lord, keep us walking humbly before you and help us to be faithful. Lord, that those who are on a journey toward you will arrive home safe. Guide and keep us, direct us. Lord, we pray this in your name with thanksgiving. Amen.